Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to this week's episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I'm your host, Olga Peters, and this is the show where we talk about how everything in Montpelier shakes out for the rest of us. This week, we will be discussing shield laws and reproductive freedom. Uh, Want to welcome regular contributor, Representative Emily Kornheiser. Hey, Emily. Good morning, Olga. And uh, welcome back to the show, Representative Martin Lalonde, who is the chair of uh, the Judiciary Committee in the House. So glad you can be joining us today. How are you, Martin? I'm great. Good morning, Olga and Emily. Um, Emily, as I mentioned, we'll be talking about shield laws. And as I understand it, the House passed a law last week. But I'd love it if you could bring listeners up to up to speed on um, what's moving through the house right now. Yeah, sure. So, um, and again, we passed a bill. It's not a law until the governor. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Yes. Entirely all the chambers and the governor, but we passed a bill last year. So as um, anyone who's paying attention or maybe even folks who aren't paying attention, I hopefully know about four years ago, we passed a law that guaranteed a right to abortion under Vermont law. And then, which was fairly prescient given that was sort of before we knew um, how incredibly terrible and regressive things were going to happen nationally for reproductive liberty, though certainly we've seen sort of a steady march from many states pushing back against reproductive freedoms over the last couple decades. Mm -hmm. So then we began the process that same biennium of amending Vermont's constitution to guarantee a right to reproductive liberty for all Vermonters. And after that passing the full legislature on two separate biennium, we then, is it biennia? It's the, it's the, it's the plural of biennium, biennia? I, I think uh, I use bienniums okay. and biennia just so I cover all the bases of being both wrong <laughs> and right. Great, great. Well, I've done that today, I'm glad. Um, it's not like cactus. So anyway, back to the story about our reproductive liberty that passed um, with a majority of voters in every single town in Vermont in November, which is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And so now we have amended our constitution. We have a new article that guarantees reproductive liberty. And now this session, we are, I like to think of it as just sort of like you know, tidying up the corners of statute to make sure that we can really continue to guarantee those freedoms to Vermonters, which brings us to two different sets of shield laws that we are planning on working on this year. One of them is sort of legal shield laws, and that sits in the House Judiciary Committee. And Martin can tell us about the bill that just passed. Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, I won't I won't give you a half hour overview like I did on the floor of the house on on Thursday I'll, <laughs> a higher level. Um, but essentially, Martin, yeah, I, so- but that's OK. <laughs> no, can I interrupt you for a second? So I just want sure. folks to know that there's um, a trick in the house. It's like a fairly obvious trick, but it works remarkably well, even though everyone seems to know about it, which is the longer and more boring your floor speech is the less likely you are to have meaningful debate about it. And there's a few things there. And Martin- You know, Martin maybe didn't think his speech was boring. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) He talks about it throughout the speech about how dry it was. (laughs) What I think is remarkable, and then there's more jokes that happened on top of that. But what I think is most remarkable about this is that it's not just, you know, it's about being long. And then there's sort of like, with a little bit of, you know, if you don't accentuate your delivery too much, you can lull people into thinking about other things and not notice details that they might be nervous about if they were paying attention. But the other piece of this is just with a long report and a very competent person delivering it, there is also people realize that the person has a mastery of the subject enough that they just don't want to mess with them in public. So Martin really, I think, balanced both of those things last week. Okay. <laughs> Professional. Martin, tell us yeah. about the bill. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, and, and you're you're on to me just like everybody else. Because if you lull them to sleep, they're going to be too embarrassed to to ask any questions or 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 vote against what you're what you're doing. But I don't think that's why we got 130 votes. I think it's I because 
Vermonters are really behind what we're trying to do, um, which is pushing back against other states. That That's really the, the bottom line of what the shield bill uh, does, because uh, after the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade, uh, a lot of states, uh, some states already had restrictions, of course, but a lot more states were banning uh, or restricting uh, the right to abortion um, and other reproductive rights. And so the the issue, though, is that they are trying to, we, we anticipate, uh, I don't know how much they've done it yet, some of these states, uh, but we anticipate uh, uh, these states trying to uh, really get into our business in the state of Vermont or other states that are are uh, in favor of allowing the freedom to uh, uh, to access reproductive uh, services. Uh, so, so we're we're anticipating that that states are going to try to hold providers in Vermont or providers in other states that uh, are access states uh, hold them criminally or civilly liable. Um, and it's not just on it's not just with respect to reproductive rights. This bill uh, extends also to gender affirming rights, uh, which haven't you know which are fairly politicized as well. And again, we're seeing different states uh, going in very different directions. Um, I'll just give you an example. Alabama has a law that they've uh, recently put on the books uh, that would hold anybody who helps a uh, assists a minor in receiving gender affirming care. Uh, would hold them uh, liable, would be a felony of 10 years in prison and up to $15,000 for helping, you know, some some youngster try to understand and deal with their gender dysphoria. Uh, so anyway, the, and, and that kind of uh, law could stretch into trying to get a provider in Vermont who's helping, you know, a kid from Alabama or or is helping somebody in Texas receive a medicated abortion. And what we're trying to do is uh, is protect our providers, uh, be they therapists, nurses, uh, doctors, et cetera, or anybody who helps somebody uh, access those services, be it reproductive care or gender affirming care, and also trying to protect patients and other people who help the individuals as well. And I can get into more details of that if, if you wish, but that's kind of the high level of, of what we're trying to do in, in the judiciary bill. I don't know if you want me to describe very briefly the the companion bill that's in the Senate. Hmm. Yeah, so, I think that would so, be helpful. Yeah, yeah. Very quickly, uh, there is a companion bill, and it's being taken up initially in the Senate in the Health and Welfare uh, Committee, and that's dealing with uh, licensing issues and insurance, <clears throat> like malpractice insurance issues, of trying to ensure that uh, licensing and insurance is not impacted by Vermont continuing to provide these services. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. Um, what has been some of the conversation around uh, the, the bill? Like, given that this, these shield bills are, are coming up um, after a longer process, how has the conversation changed? Are you getting different questions, concerns? Personally, I was just, you know, it was a really affirmative vote that we had in the House the other day. I mean, you know, it was the vast majority of the House Democratic and Progressive Caucus, but it was also half the Republicans. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think in the aftermath um, or there's some sort of nice, there's a word for after nice things happen. That's not aftermath, but whatever that word is, um, of the reproductive liberty vote, I think a lot of legislators really were able to get clear on what their constituents wanted for their health and for the health of their community and their loved ones. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, certainly. Uh, and and the state in, uh, broadly has been very supportive of of uh, individuals seeking gender affirming care as well. Uh, we, we've seen that uh, with a resolution that we passed uh, last biennium. Uh, and just, uh, I've really felt there's been a lot more support uh, from Republicans as well. Not, not all of them, but uh, I think a lot of them are, you know, there's a libertarian streak actually both in, I think the Democrats and, and Republicans you know, across the board that stay out of our business. And I think that's part of it with the shield law as well. Hey, other states stay out of our business. Uh, and, and I think that that really uh, hit home for a lot of uh, our more conservative uh, folks in the in the house, certainly in our committee as well. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I'd also, you know, I haven't talked to every, I haven't talked to every member about this. Martin certainly talked to more people, but, um, you know, we elected Winooski, actually, we didn't, Winooski elected um, first out trans legislator last two years, two sessions ago. And I think having her there in the state house and people being able to see that people are people, um, I think has also really made a difference. It's sort of, you know, the more we can connect with people with different experiences, um, I think it really removes some of the impact of the rhetoric that, you know, folks might see on Fox News or whatever. Right. Yeah, I think it's been really critical that that she's been in the state house mm-hmm. and a very powerful voice as well. So uh, that that has definitely been helpful. Mm-hmm. Is there um, want to talk about kind of the nitty gritty of of shield laws in general? Are they somehow different from other, like, why are they called shield laws rather than just like a law? <laughs> so because they're, because they're shielding our, uh, uh, the folks that are subject to this from, from liability. And I can explain that a little bit more now. And probably the best way to explain it uh, is to give you a scenario. Um, let's, let's assume, well, first of all, Texas has a law called, uh, referred to as SB8. Uh, and that law allows any resident in Texas, anybody in Texas can sue somebody who has helped somebody else get an abortion and get a $10,000 bony. Uh, so let's assume that we have a uh, Vermont provider. Uh, and I'll give you a couple different uh, differences, a couple different scenarios with respect to this. Let's assume that the, uh, Texas, uh, uh, somebody from Texas comes to Vermont uh, and, and gets an abortion in Vermont. Uh, back in Texas, somebody, uh, uh, just any old resident who understands that this person was pregnant and went to Vermont and is no longer pregnant can pr- can bring a lawsuit uh, against the Vermont provider or or anybody else who helped this individual. Maybe there's uh, somebody in Texas that also helped them get to the airport and, and uh, get to Vermont to get the, the abortion. Uh, they can bring that lawsuit. So when they when they brought this lawsuit, they may want to have testimony or documents from the Vermont provider to show what procedure was was uh, performed. The shield law would block that. They the shield law would say that a, a subpoena is not to be a subpoena for testimony or or for documents is not to be honored. Um, and and I won't get into the technical parts of that, but but that's one thing. You're not we're not going to help you uh, make your case. But let's say that nevertheless, they just proceed, they have enough evidence, and it leads to a judgment uh, against the Vermont provider for $10,000. Our law also allows uh, a countersuit. It's something called a tortious interference cause of action. What that means is that that provider in Vermont can sue the person that brought the case in Texas for damages, which could be essentially the same amount of what they have received in their lawsuit in Texas, plus costs and attorney's fees. So hopefully that will discourage, uh, would discourage anybody in Texas from bringing that lawsuit in the first place. Uh, But if not, it will hopefully make uh, the doctor or the provider in Vermont whole. Um, the other, the other thing that can happen is that the person in Texas can still seek to enforce the judgment and can, and can file that in Vermont. And actually, because of the full faith and credit clause of the U.S. Constitution, there's only so much we can do in the shield law in that situation. Uh, if there's jurisdiction, if there was due process, uh, we generally would have to honor that judgment and thus the countersuit to uh, to allow the doctor to be whole. Uh, but there is one other provision. If if a judgment is penal in nature, uh, and the court could decline to uh, to enforce it. And I would argue that the SB8, the Texas case, definitely is penal in nature. It's not for compensating somebody, it's to punish or sanction the provider. So that, that let me just give you a slightly different 
scenario, unless you have a question about that scenario. Well, I, I guess I want to sort of add some details to that scenario. So in that scenario, it's not just, say, the doctor who prescribed abortion medication. Um, it's, you know, if that person who sought reproductive care in Vermont is someone who just is from Texas and going to UVM, the school counselor who just referred them to healthcare would be considered someone who is helping them access that. So, and sort of the entire UVM network, right? So like, that's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of scale I think that we're talking about here. It's not just, you know, I think it's going to be fairly rare um, given that Vermont is thankfully sort of surrounded by other states that also have reproductive health care um, for the kind of sort of border crossing that we're seeing out west to seek care. But there's a lot of people who will come and go from here and need care. And right. yeah. Yeah, no, that's absolutely. Um, so the the I'm going to slightly change the scenario that our provider um, in Vermont uh, provides telemedicine, uh, provides, you know, talks to a Texas resident and <clears throat> gets uh, uh, abortion pills sent to the Texas re resident. So for medicated abortion. Um, and, and I'll take it one step further and say that our Vermont provider is not even licensed in Texas. Um, our shield bill would still protect that that doctor. And, and, and this is uh, where We've gone a little further than Connecticut has a shield law. Uh, we're we're following Massachusetts, although we're making it much clearer than I think Massachusetts law uh, does. This is one of the big changes that uh, we made to the the, the law that Massachusetts uh, passed that we modeled our law on is making it very clear that it doesn't matter where the patient is, as long as the Vermonter uh, the Vermont provider is licensed in Vermont, we feel that. The, the standards of care that that license requires is sufficient to, to say that we're going to just consider this to have happened in Vermont. Uh, so that same kind of thing could happen as far as not providing testimony uh, and, and not uh, trying not to honor the, uh, the uh, judgment if it's, if it's brought and also having to countersuit. So that's kind of one example. I would like to you know, explain another example that gets into the criminal side because there are states that could try to reach out uh, and hold a provider in Vermont criminally liable. And, and before I do that, the, the, going back to the concept of a college student, you know, mm -hmm. we could have a Vermont, we could have a Vermont college student in Texas going to a Texas school. And we would like to certainly extend uh, you know, the Vermont standards of care and, and, and availability of care to that student in Texas. So, um, so the, and it, does I, the shield I, law do that too? If a, if a Vermont resident is like at a Texas college or something? Yes. If the, if they receive telemedicine from, from the, uh, Vermont provider, the provider is protected, uh, the the individual it's interesting that the texas law that i used as an example it, it doesn't necessarily go after the patient although there are other states that would go after the patient and we would provide as many protections as we could of the patient but but there there are there are you know we can only go so far in certain issues because we can't keep texas from the texas courts from having the case right uh we we don't have to cooperate with the texas court if they're seeking documents to hold somebody in Texas liable, uh, we don't have to help, but we can only go so far. We can't protect them beyond that. Mm -hmm. um, so I mentioned Alabama in their criminal law as as far as um, for gender affirming care. And, you know, assuming that we have uh, a family that has, I don't know, summer home <laughs> in Alabama, why they would do that, I don't know, but maybe it's a winter home. Um, uh, or it could even be Florida, you know, because Florida is marching down this really terrible path as well. But any event, uh, so we have a therapist in Vermont who's providing telemedicine uh, care for gender affirming care to a minor and their family uh, in Alabama or Florida. Uh, Alabama could seek to hold that provider criminally liable. As I mentioned, there's a felony in Alabama and the parents criminally liable. Uh, there's a couple other provisions in our law, uh, one that would not extradite uh, the provider in Vermont. Uh, mm. 
there, there's uh, extradition provides that if if that Vermont provider had been in Alabama when they performed certain services and then went back to Vermont, uh, the provider would be considered a fugitive and we would have no choice under the Constitution, under federal law to send that person back. But because in my scenario, it's telemedicine, the doctor never left Vermont, was always in Vermont, this provision uh, actually takes away the discretion uh, to send to extradite the person. So we would not extradite uh, the person under this law. Uh, also, if uh, if the prosecutor, the district attorney in, in, in Alabama sought to uh, get the doctor to come to Alabama to testify, there's a, a another act that we have that would generally uh, honor such a request and require a Vermonter to travel to another state to provide testimony. Again, we have accepted, you know, from that any kind of request to uh, have a testimony from one of our providers in Vermont when it involves uh, these legally protected healthcare activities. So, so that kind of, you know, so those are the, but I, I will say that, I mean, these protections largely stop at our border. Uh, not entirely because if uh, because Massachusetts has a similar law and New York has a similar law, but uh, if if our doctor in our various scenarios has a summer home in Florida, uh, they probably should not have that summer home in Florida <laughs> because if they go to Florida, they can be extradited to Alabama or my other example, they. They could be sent uh, to to Texas, right? So, so we can't protect them, and and that's and, and part of uh, what's going to happen after this law goes through the whole process uh, is uh, the Office of Professional Regulation. Did I get that right? OPR uh, and and the uh, Vermont Medical Society are going to have to do a lot of educating to make sure providers understand the extent of these protections. Uh, that they're not entirely protected if they go to another state. Martin, can I ask, um, since you brought up the Office of Professional Regulation, I have a question that's a little bit in the weeds. And so, um, and I might fall under the bill that's moving through the Senate, I'm not sure. But you talk about um, providers being licensed in Vermont and how things apply. Um, we are moving towards having a lot of different kinds of healthcare compacts, meaning that we honor the licenses of other states with our licensing regime and um, sort of extend that. Um, we're sort of in a trade situation, right? Like we, all of these states have come together and said, we'll respect your licenses and consider them our licenses. How does that, how does this law extend to those compacts? You're right. That is the other bill. Okay. Uh, but, but I, I'll I, wait I, until I can... that passes. Well, well, no, I, I can I can say that um, that it, they, that is very much understood that that is an issue in the health and uh, welfare committee and our house health uh, care committee, uh, the legislative council who are working on this. Uh, there's like three or four of our powerful brains that we have are working on these different issues. Uh, my understanding as well is that is that the entities that have you know these compacts that uh, understand that this is an issue and and they need to look at uh either rulemaking or however that works because what you're going to have is probably eventually you're going to have 20 states with shield laws uh that protect these uh, services and you're going to have 20 some states that ban these services and how is that going to work with the compact? So it's not just our state that needs to deal with this. Because right now, I mentioned that Connecticut and Massachusetts and uh, have, have shield laws. Uh, California does as well, although they need to really update theirs. I see some, um, some potential flaws in what they've done, but you know we'll, they, they'll get there. Connect, uh, uh, Colorado, New York, Illinois are all in the process of passing shield laws. So... So that's going to be an issue as far as, yeah, the licensing. Uh, and, and that is, I think, the trick, in my view, probably the trickier issue than what we've had to deal with the last few weeks. Yeah, it, it sounds like the tricky issue is that the the crossing of state borders that happens with the compact. Um, right. 
Yeah. And, and with telemedicine as well. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so, so we are, this bill does change the assumption of how telemedicine works as far as what law applies. So I mean, mm-hmm. generally speaking, it's the law of where the patient is located. Uh, and we explicitly have changed that for these particular services that uh, if, if our Vermont provider was in Vermont, it's Vermont law, uh, even if it's telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Martin. Uh, we have just a couple minutes before the end of this first um, segment. What's just to tie things up? What do we need to leave listeners with right now? What do they need to understand um, at this point? Sure. Uh, I I would say that this is our next step for protecting reproductive uh, rights and autonomy, as well as gender affirming care in Vermont. And and this is a statement as well that we're pushing back against states that are banning or restricting those services. Uh, We will protect Vermonters, but we're going a step further. We understand that there are individuals in different states that are desperate, uh, folks who don't have the money to travel to another state, uh, don't have childcare, can't get a hotel, et cetera. Uh, and, and they need to get reproductive health care. They, they, one way or another, are, are, going to, are going to have an abortion. And rather than them relying on the black market or getting pills from you know, India, which, which happens uh, without any kind of consultation, uh, we are reaching out. We're we're making it available, uh, uh, having assistance in those situations for really some desperate folks across the country, including in in the gender affirming care area as as well. Uh, so we we are in fact be going a bit on the offensive on protecting these rights beyond our borders as well. And thank you. Can I say one more sentence? Yeah, yeah. No. I that's so huge for me because I think oftentimes you know when we're engaged in the sort of states' rights versus federal rights conversation in Vermont, and um, we're proud of the work that we're doing, and we can feel safe in the work that we're doing in Vermont, we lose track of the fact that there are people all across the country that are sad and terrified and suffering. And so I appreciate that this isn't just about um, making sure, you know, Vermonters living in Vermont are okay, but that we're really... um, acknowledging that there are folks all across the country with need. We're taking our values uh, seriously and pushing them beyond our borders. So, and I think that's, you know, that's what others are doing as well. Other states are pushing values that are completely contrary to what ours are. So we may as well push ours too. (laughs) Uh, Martin, Emily, uh, stay tuned everybody. The Montpelier Happy Hour on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro will return in a moment. Welcome back to the second half of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. You can also find us wherever you find your podcasts, as well as we want to thank BCTV for putting us on the television and many of the peg stations around Vermont. So thank you, Brattleboro Community Television. I am your host, Olga Peters, and if you are just joining us, I'm speaking with Representative Emily Kornheiser, as well as Representative Martin Lalonde about um, H89, which is a shield bill uh, for reproductive liberties, as well as uh, gender affirming uh, work and counseling. Emily, what do we need to remind listeners of? The views and opinions expressed here on the Montpelier Happy Hour are those of the host, the guests, and not their employers, the station it's broadcast on, any watercolor societies that they may be a part of, just the hosts and the guests, respectively. Thank you very much. Um, Martin, would love to hear a little history of H89, which uh, for listeners who are just joining us, passed the House, I believe, last week. Um, How did this bill come to to be? Like, how did you know it was the next step in protecting um, reproductive liberties? 
what was some of the sure. thought that went into this bill? Sure. Um, it, I mean, this, as I think Emily uh, explained at the very introduction, uh, you know, we, we've had our eyes uh, in the legislature on protecting reproductive rights and autonomy for a few years now. Uh, and and also uh, on gender affirming rights, but really what prompted this more so is certainly the Dobbs opinion uh, last spring. Um, so soon after the Dobbs opinion was uh, issued, uh, Massachusetts, uh, which was uh, still in session, uh, the legislature and I believe Connecticut as well, and I believe California uh, reacted fairly quickly on, on trying to uh, protect reproductive rights in in their states. Uh, but I'll really look at Massachusetts. Um, so so there were there were some issues. Uh, you know, California was protecting, trying to become essentially a sanctioned state or, or sanctuary state, I should say, uh, for gender affirming as well as uh, individuals seeking reproductive care. Uh, but Massachusetts uh, went the furthest in protecting, as we, as I previously discussed, uh, telemedicine, uh, protecting providers in uh, Massachusetts who are providing medicated abortion uh, services uh, outside of their state. Uh, it's interesting that uh, Massachusetts, I, apparently, they run things differently than than we do in Vermont, and and. And their law passed without really the extensive testimony uh, that we took here in Vermont. But, but uh, so we we were following this. Uh, our leadership in the House uh, was following uh, the developments after Dobbs and what to what do we do with now that now that uh, these rights are left with the state. Uh, our focus certainly was on getting uh, Prop 5, Article 22 passed, uh, the constitutional amendment. Uh, that really was you know, the primary focus uh, after the Dobbs opinion came down is that we wanted to finish up the process we'd started four years earlier uh, to put this into the constitution, have it a constitutional right. Uh, for reproductive liberty and, and bodily autonomy. So that was a focus, but at that same time, um, we had our legislative council already uh, looking at what was happening with these various shield laws and uh, reaching out to individuals. Uh, there's particularly a professor from Drexel University uh, who fairly quickly had authored, co-authored an article uh, which I don't even know if it's finalized yet. It's I've been looking at it and it's been in draft mode for a while, but any event about what the, uh, the, the landscape looked like as far as for uh, different states having different laws and also what kind what what could uh, states that are trying to protect access, what they could do. Uh, so that was developing where, where there were uh, very smart people in academia looking at this. There were other states looking at this, and, and we had uh, a team of our legislative council also looking at this to prepare for uh, the session. Um, and oftentimes- Can I just yep. jump in for a second, Martin? Because you know, none of these people sort of like sprung out of nowhere when the Dobbs decision passed, right? Like we know that there have been states all across the country that have been steadily eroding reproductive rights since Roe was right. decided and the Dobbs decision was just sort of like one final just like clanking into place of a atrocious movement that's been going on in America for a long time so there have been a lot of people who have been thinking really deeply about these issues and working to protect reproductive liberty through all of those years and all of those um, states decisions yeah, absolutely. As as we did, starting yeah. a few years ago, more than four years ago. Yeah, yeah. there was writing on the wall, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, on, um, uh, but so for for generally for large in my in my experience, uh, this is my fifth term. Uh, if if you're going to get something uh, big done uh, in the first session, uh, a lot of work goes on before we ever, we even are sworn into office. So uh, uh, so there was a lot of work being done, and uh, there's a lot of discussions among leadership of both the Senate and the House of how we're going to approach this. There were decisions that had to be made. Are we going to have one big bill 
Uh, is it going to start in the Senate? Is it going to start in the House? Uh, are we going to extend it to gender affirming care? Uh, so obviously the decisions that came out was we would we would have two bills, one dealing with the court type issues and the other dealing with the licensing and insurance issues. And we'd split up where they would start. Uh, and, and that's really as much about capacity. And, you know, our Judiciary Committee, we had seven returning members, whereas uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee had only two of five members that were returning, uh, but their health and welfare were in a better position to start this. So, you know, all those kind of things happen as far as tactics, strategies, et cetera. And we did decide, obviously, to, to also have this as part of uh, gender affirming uh, care as well. So, so we were, we had um, a draft bill uh, essentially ready to go by the time we started uh, the session. And it's something that had been worked on for a while. So we, we did have the draft bill, uh, but we had a very uh, intensive deliberative process of looking at the language in that bill. Uh, we heard from a, quite a few individuals uh, as well, and I can get into that if if you're interested. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really interested because I mm. that's the that might have been the part of your floor remarks that I paid less attention to, which was the who are the witnesses. <laughs> so you're <laughs> suggesting that you paid, you, you're suggesting you paid attention to my floor report. That's I hilarious. did. It was you know this is this is an issue that's really important to me. I did pay attention to your floor remarks. Yes. <laughs> That's that, that warms my heart. <laughs> so, um, yes. So, so we we heard uh, from uh, the our, uh, the Drexel uh, professor who who really was very helpful in all this because he's working on on these shield bills across the country. Uh, you know, he one of the days he had he came in. Uh, you know via Zoom, and he had just been in the state of Washington um, uh, by Zoom uh, to talk about a shield bill that they're they're taking up as well. So um, so he has a lot of uh, knowledge from across the country on what's happening. This is the professor who wrote this article as well. So it was it was really nice to have him. And we had him in two or three times uh, to comment once we changed some aspects of the bill. Um, and so he was very critical, uh, and we also had uh, an individual from, um, I think it's called GLAD, is that, is that, mm -hmm. I'm going to get, yep. yeah, from, from who really worked on the Massachusetts bill. So we had some of these outside folks who had, who had worked that, on the. Does that stand for gay and lesbian anti-defamation? Yeah, no, I. Oh, okay. I feel like it was like a big organization when I was coming up in the 90s, and now I like cannot remember what it stood for. Uh, thank you, listeners. We, If you're hearing any blip in the recording, it's just, once again, rural internet uh, raised its head and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, Martin uh, was just telling us about uh, witnesses who testified on H-89. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, we heard from uh, the Network uh, Against Domestic and Sexual Violence, um, and we heard from a doctor who's uh, involved with the adolescent medicine division at the Vermont uh, Child Health Improvement Project at the University of uh, Vermont uh, Medical Center. We heard from a gynecologist, uh, an OB-GYN, uh, OB did I say that right, uh, at, at Vermont Medical Center. Uh, we heard from, uh, with was really powerful testimony from a doctor uh, a Vermont doctor who is trying to help individuals through telemedicine, as as I talked a little bit about earlier, uh, and as somebody is probably willing to go wherever a patient happens to be via telemedicine, uh, she uh, works with an uh, organization called Aid Access, and there's another organization called Healthcare Across Borders, and, and these are... Um, these are uh, organizations that will help counsel uh, individuals, uh, for instance, getting medicated uh, uh, abortion. Uh, although there are logistics as far as being able to send uh, pills from a, a pharmacy in, say, Massachusetts or Vermont, now, there are various federal laws uh, that uh, may prevent that, and often pills still need to be sent from India or, or Mexico, which is really travesty as well, because it takes time. 
Um, but but back, going back to Massachusetts, Massachusetts was the first state that, that did extend to telemedicine. And, and that was one of the things we were certainly looking at uh, when we looked at the language of the bill. And uh, we, we did get uh, input as well on the constitutional issues. Uh, but we heard from the ACLU, we heard from the Solicitor General of the Vermont, uh, of the Attorney General's Office of Vermont. Uh, we heard from other attorneys. Uh, I mentioned the Vermont Medical Society. We had a lot of people weigh in on the constitutionality. And the overall opinion on that is under current law, this is constitutional. And I emphasize current law because we don't know where this federal court system is going with the U.S. Uh, Supreme Court as it is right now. And it is possible that parts of this law uh, may eventually be challenged, almost certainly they will, and, and may not survive, but under current law. Um, but as we know, our friends in the Supreme Court don't seem to really care what the current law is necessarily, but I'm hoping they will on, on, on these technical issues that really underlie this. But one of the things that we changed and really looked at was, was our definition of what legally protected healthcare. And that's where we really clarified that it doesn't matter where the patient is. It does not matter if our provider is licensed where the patient is, as long as they're licensed in Vermont. And our the professor from uh, Drexel, who's dealing with these other states looking at this, uh, has told us that actually they're watching what we're doing. I mean, you know, he's feeding what we're doing. And, and the language we've come up with is uh, maybe becoming a model for some of these other states that are, that are doing this because we really took a deep look uh, and had lots of input and I think came out with a pretty good product. So, mm -hmm. well, you know, I'm finding the parts of this law that are connected, especially around issues like telemedicine, really fascinating in the big picture too, because there seems to be a rise of telemedicine and, and organizations. Uh, the one that comes to mind right now is, is um, Better Health, where you can find health, uh, mental health care on the internet. Um, and so this is a part that I find, a part of the, the law that I find just really, um, I can see the far ranging uh, implications of right. of the number of people you can help uh, with that right. provision. I find that really amazing. And we did a lot of work in the last couple of years in the legislature around telemedicine regulation and support to ensure that Vermonters can have access to telemedicine um, and that they're protected while they're um, accessing that telemedicine. Um, and similarly, that Vermont telemedicine providers um, can be protected. And so I really, um, it's interesting how, and there's some really, um, some really good coverage and sort of deep dives about how the rise in um, pharmaceutical or medical abortions and the pandemic really like came together in the healthcare mm -hmm. field to really shift the landscape of how people accessed abortion, sort of regardless of um, all that happened with sort of state and federal laws during that time. But what it did and is really like set us up, I think, um, to be much more ready for the sort of regressive hellscape of <laughs> reproductive rights nationally. And so um, I feel grateful and quite lucky for that. Um, yeah. Martin, I wonder, yeah. you know, right after um, the Supreme Court decision, I think there was a big rise in folks donating to abortion funds to support folks and, you know, to support people in states with more regressive laws to be able to travel across state lines. Does this law also protect if Vermonters are donating to an abortion fund um, to not be held liable by states where that abortion fund might be using the money? Yeah, no, no, this this would. It extends to people. I mean, if one could argue that that is assisting in individuals uh, receiving abortion, that this would protect them. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, presumably, 
uh, those organizations are keeping their list of donors confidential as well. I don't know why they would have to uh, uh, advertise that, but, which does lead me to another real quick, there are a couple other things that the, that the bill does that we haven't talked about at all. I'll just quickly mention. Uh, one is that we have an address confidentiality program that the Secretary of State uh, it's run out of the Secretary of State's office, and it's uh, traditionally been for uh, individuals who are suffering from domestic or sexual abuse, and they don't want uh, their address to be known. And, and this is, extends it to providers and patients uh, where their address is protected as far as local and state government will not provide the person's location. And actually, there's a separate address that would be used for their, for their mail and such. Uh, and we also have a law or part of it a provision that uh, that would have a civil fine of people who are uh, obstructing access to facilities that are providing this kind of care, uh, similar to a federal law, but but it provides for a civil fine as opposed to a criminal fine, which the federal law has. So those are a couple other things that 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 the this bill uh, does. So. Thank you, Martin. Um, Emily, you know, this is an issue that is near and dear to your heart and you have been working on quite a bit. Um, so I'll ask you this first, but I'm curious about Martin's response as well. As we're working on these, these shield laws, what comes next? Do we, do we know where we need to go next or to protect um, reproductive freedoms and gender affirming rights or? Um, for me, so much of this is really a way of stabilizing Vermont and Vermonters lives so that we aren't living under fear and repression and instead can be using our energies to support folks in other states. Um, so I've seen a lot um, I've met a lot of folks who are, I would consider sort of like, you know, gender and reproductive liberty refugees, like really remarkable number, number of folks I've met in the last year who moved here to Vermont um, so that their kids could access health care, so that they could access health care. And so I think continuing to be a state that both stands for that and acts that way Um and then knowing, you know, that all of us as Vermonters whose rights are being protected then have the energy to go and, you know, fight for folks who don't have that. I think for me, that's the next step is that I can stop being scared and go, you know, fight for other people's rights instead of just my own. Thank you, Emily. Martin? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And also, I think part of the next step is is uh, going to be monitoring uh, where these shield laws go and uh, if if and what happens with them in, in court and, and reacting possibly having to, to tweak things as we go along and we get more guidance on what is allowed and what isn't allowed, et cetera. So I think that that's from my perspective on the judiciary, it will be continuing to make sure that we're doing as much as we can to, to provide these protections that Emily just talked about. Because mm -hmm. I think we should just clarify with this shield law, um be very explicit, they don't stop someone from another state filing a lawsuit. They no, just put no. protections in place in case those lawsuits are filed. Correct. Yeah. And I think I want to be more explicit about what I mean about being sort of a place of safe respite beyond the legal parts mm -hmm. of that is that we know that medical schools throughout the country have been offering less and less training in reproductive health care, mm -hmm. especially abortions. Um, and we know that, you know, Vermont providers are fairly versed in it. It's not something that just happens at Planned Parenthood clinics. It's something that, you know, a lot of just regular OBGYN offices are able to offer in Vermont. We have two really like, you know, nationally renowned gender clinics in Vermont um, to support people's health care who want gender affirming care. And so to continue to make, you know, to continue to support our educational institutions so that, you know, we have professionals who are versed in doing this work well so that we can, you know, um, be a place that both trains people and offers care. Yeah. 
Thank you, Emily. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else we want to leave listeners with before we wrap up this show? Anything else they need to understand? Anything coming up? Any testimony uh, coming up on like the Senate bill that maybe people should know about? Uh, I, I understand they are in the process of, of certainly taking testimony. Uh, our legislative council, who we've been working closest on this bill, uh, actually has an hour or so scheduled to go over this bill with the Senate uh, um, committee that is taking up the other bill, uh, because there's been a lot of work because they're going to be using the same definitions. There's going to be some coordination towards the end of this whole process that that this is a comprehensive package. You know, it started in two different chambers and two, you know, two different committees, but in the end, it's one comprehensive package uh, that will provide as many protections as we're legally able, uh, able to provide. So, Thank you. Um, Emily, if um, people, yep. I just want to offer also Planned Parenthood Action Fund is um, hosting a series of events around the state um, for folks to both make abortion care packages and for folks to have really pretty powerful conversations around abortion stigma and reproductive justice stigma. Um, and so really, if this is something you want to talk about a little bit more, um, rather than just listening to us talk about, I really encourage you to find one of those workshops in your area and dive in with your neighbors to talk about this stuff. And I'm sorry, Emily, you the internet blipped, so I didn't hear the name of the organization. Planned Parenthood Action Fund. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'll try to link to it in the show notes. Wonderful. Um, we are out of time for, for this, uh, episode. So Martin, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to learn more about you or, uh, see some of the bills that you're covering, uh, where can they go? Uh, they can go to legislative legislative website. All of the hearings are on YouTube that can be accessed through the legislative uh, website. Uh, we live stream. Uh, this is one of the few good things that happened uh, uh, after COVID. I would say the uh, advancements in telemedicine is the other good thing that happened uh, after COVID, but but the transparency that we have uh, in the state house, I mean, people can go back and look at all the testimony that we had on this, on this bill. Uh, and can look at uh, testimony going forward. So it's a legislative, you just look up Vermont legislature and it's it's fairly uh, straightforward how to uh, jump around on that particular website. Thank you. Emily, if people want to reach out to you, learn more about you. Folks can go to emilykornheiser.org and you'll find links to all the various ways to get in touch with me, as well as the second Saturday of every month at 10.30 a.m. I am at Brooks Memorial Library with my fellow legislators to talk about what's important to you. Thank you. And as always, the Montpelier Happy Hour is on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station every Friday at 2, or subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts or you can find us on BCTV. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take care.